folks. XQ quality, better than HQ, but no one knows what the X stands for, except for extremely good. <clears throat> Here we go. Episode 218 of Channel Massive. I'm Noah. I am Mark. It's another two-person show. We've got a ton of news to go through. We've got ton. another cool email from Agamemnon and just a little bit of stuff after that. Would you say it's a metric ton of stuff? It is. It's a, it's a ton of various topics. Yeah. It's really quite amazing. Um, and... A lot of it has to do with high-profile people leaving their positions at companies, people who yeah. you didn't think would ever do such a thing, and then other folks starting new companies, and it's crazy. It's kind of a weird time of year to do it. When it gets yeah. starts getting close to holidays, the idea of people just like, all right, I'm going to do something else. It's just unexpected. Do you do you you know this is a slight tangent, but that's what we're known for. But you know, with your your position where you work, you've been everything from like a project manager to a product manager to a you know kind of a designer to you name it, right? And have you noticed that people when they're planning projects never te- seem to take into account the fact that in November and December nothing really happens? <laughs> yeah, because I've got projects still going on where they're a due date of December. Yeah, and it's like it'll literally be like. This due date of December 28th or something. <laughs> You're like, no one's going to be there, you know? I just That's so funny. It's really true, yeah. I it's optimistic know. on their part to think it's, that. Yeah, it's super optimistic. Yeah, like, um, you know, there's, no one's going to be here, and if they are here, they won't really be here. They're going to be online looking for last-minute gifts or something or planning a yeah. vacation. Um, but... Uh, you know, I would imagine the game industry would be somewhat similar, and yet there's, like you say, so many things moving right now as we are, you know, into the beginning of October. And, uh, yeah, usually I've always ruled out, you know, the last kind of, I don't know, quarter of the year. It just seems like, you know, employment tends to kind of freeze, you know. Um, but this is nuts. So I wonder if it'll be, this is the beginning of even more stuff, a wave of, of shifts from one company to another. We will, we will see. Yeah. So for the first one, probably the most notable one that just happened within the last couple of days, Cliff Blazinski has left Epic after being there for 20 years, working there since he was some teenage age. Yeah, he doesn't look that, that he, old in the picture. No, he looks like he's in his mid-30s. Yeah, 20-year yeah. industry veteran. Yeah, so he was hold he held the position of design director currently at Epic Games and has worked on everything from Jazz Jackrabbit to the Gears of War trilogy. Well, I guess Gears of War series since there's the fourth one coming out here. And he just kind of abruptly said, like, it's time for me to take a break. He's not announcing that he's going to be starting up a new company or really doing anything related to gaming. He just wants to take a break. He recently got married to a hot blonde gamer chick celebrity. And... <laughs> I wonder if any of that has anything to do with this. Like, well, now that I'm a married man, 
I want to yeah. enjoy some time with my gamer wife. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe. He's like, you know what? All I've done, because we know the lifestyle of, or at least what's reported, is we, neither of us are game developers, but what's reported is that it's a lot of work and hours, and it's a younger person's game, so to speak, in a lot of ways, unless you've yeah. you know moved up to those higher levels, which he has, but still, no, it it's not it's if if he's you know been managing his money well and everything, it's not inconceivable to think he might want to take a little break, um, you know. And there was there was nothing interesting there, like oh he's moving to Rhode Island to take over their state-run <laughs> gaming company, <laughs> but uh, just kidding. <laughs> But yeah, it was a bit of a shocker to see someone that high profile just up and say, "Yeah, I'm going to take it, take 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 a break by quitting my job, not a hiatus or anything like that. It's a full on. I'm out of here." Yeah, and they're so. working on new games. I'm sure they're gearing up new franchises for the next generation. But he also has been a little outspoken in that he doesn't feel that the next gen consoles are powerful enough, and he was trying to push for them to be more powerful, have stronger hardware. Not sure yeah. how successful or impactful he was in that. There is a conspiracy theory out there that perhaps his, perhaps his disgust, quote unquote, perceived disgust of the console of the next console generation, inspired him to quit. He had a really high profile position at Epic, which would seem to me that he could have a lot of influence on what games they make. Right. But there could be something there too. Maybe he's just really tired of working on epic franchises he want, he had something new some kind of other projects he wants to do i i can't see him completely getting out of games yeah at his I, age and with his connections and experience yeah and it, it's like what could you do that would be cooler possibly as a career you know he's already like put in he's already you know put in his time and everything i mean what cooler thing could he possibly do i mean with richard garriott it was well i'm going to go into space granted that's that is pretty cool but i mean not everybody has that kind of a, an idea or the capital to do it so yeah pretty interesting i'm maybe shocked he'll to see uh, it happen. go into ufc <laughs> he looks like he's kind of buff maybe he could who knows yeah, maybe that's next <laughs> yeah maybe like that new movie um here comes the boom or whatever maybe it's a fundraising project so while we're talking about people leaving, we should mention this other one that just happened. Apparently, the lead designer of Old Republic has left Bioware. This guy's name is Daniel Erickson. Yeah. He worked at Electronic Arts, and he was creative director of, Knights of the Old Republic over Bioware. Now he's put on his LinkedIn that he's looking for new opportunities actively. Yeah, that's a bold move. So either he's quit or he's about to quit and he's just getting really aggressive about it. Maybe he's trying to negotiate something. Yeah, or maybe they maybe they maybe they've offered him a, an opportunity to pursue excellence excellence elsewhere and he just <laughs> they said go ahead and post it on LinkedIn and see what happens. I don't know. It's pretty pretty crazy. I Yeah, people I can't certainly imagine. noticed. For as many as much crap as people have given the old republic, I, I thought it was pretty well done MMO. I mean, was it like something that would make people forget there was a World of Warcraft who are, you know, totally into that or to not be waiting for Guild Wars two? Probably not, but it was really good and it was, you know, a hugely um 
uh, it was well, probably it was what the biggest investment in a game they'd ever made, right? And it wasn't trivial, so pretty know. crazy. I don't know. Maybe his path will end up going where another high-profile Food <laughs> Republic Bioware defector. We talked about this many months ago. Rich Vogel, who actually co-founded Bioware Austin, he announced that he was leaving Bioware. Uh, I would say a, a few months ago, back in back in July, July seventeenth, yeah. he announced that he was leaving. And I don't know if back then he said he was going to do anything, but lo and behold, he is heading up a brand new company in Austin <laughs> that is being started up by Bethesda Softworks. And Bethesda is currently just doing really well on the old, uh, you know, releasing great games. <laughs> Kind yeah, and it's kind of surprising so. too because there's Bethesda already has a studio in Austin, that and that's Arcane Studios, which is working on well has just finished up the soon to be released Dishonored, which looks like a really cool game. Yeah, it looks crazy. So I wonder if maybe they're just cohabitating in the same office space or something, or if they just want to really take advantage of the strong workforce that's in Austin. There's really many notable video game development shops still out there yeah in Texas. i know if i if i had to move somewhere else in the you know in in central area here like or the southwest or whatever man it would definitely be austin because they i mean they have like a great music scene they have all kinds of good stuff going on there and this gamer gaming company thing is just it just keeps taking off down there i mean pretty pretty yeah. pretty interesting you know yeah, although things with Bioware, unfortunately, which are in Austin, also, at least they have a studio in Austin, hasn't been that great because they rumored they reportedly laid off 200 people earlier this year from the right. Old Republic team. And Old Republic hasn't been getting the best press or announcements since then. So, yeah, I think it just ebbs and flows. But what's yeah. cool is as long as there's still opportunities out there, it makes it a good place to be as a game company employee oh absolutely yeah pretty interesting so there's been some movers and shakers moving around or dropping out (laughs) yeah i'm curious to see how it all falls out so to speak or ends up yeah something that's ended up unexpectedly poorly is resident evil 6 which released this week and became hugely controversial and that the press reviews were kind of all over the place, but they were predominantly either positive or, or negative to like yeah. where you're getting like three out of 10, 4.5 out of 10. And these are from major sites such as Polygon, GameSpot. IGN gave it a decent score at a 7.9, but it was still a pretty negative review. And I'd already pre-ordered this game and I was really shocked. And the yeah. fanboys also were really shocked and they took to some really offensive personal attacks of some of the reviewers that gave the game low marks. And just it's because there's so many people that are emotionally invested in the series and they expected the worst it could be was like, would be like Resident Evil five, which a lot of people were unhappy with because it occurred almost entirely in the daytime. There wasn't really anything survival horror about it. It was mostly an action game, but I would have been happy with that too. I mean, I loved Resident Evil four. I liked Resident Evil five If Resident Evil 6 was more of the same, that'd be cool. But as it turns out, 
I can definitely see what some of the reviewers' issues were just in my first initial playtime with the game. It's just, it's like a Jerry Bruckheimer game where there's just incredible huge explosions, major set pieces going on, but there's no pacing, there's no buildup. It just starts off with that. And you just don't care because there's no context to what's going on. She's like, oh, huge explosion, huge explosion. And making it worse is that in Uncharted, which is another game that's known for really incredible set pieces being kind of Michael Bay, Bruckheimer-esque, but there's pacing in there. There And there's actually some gamer control. Maybe you have only one path that you can go up a train that's dangling off of a cliff, but you can experiment. You can go to the right, you can go to the left. The opening of Resident Evil 6, even though you're in a room where you think you should be able to go right or left, you can only go forward. And then you're going to oh, do a quick gosh. time event. And then you're going to do another quick time event. And it's just like the quick time events are so remedial and feel so uninteresting. It's like, you know, why don't you just make this a plain cutscene and quit trying to add in these artificial, you kind of have impact or control over what's going on in this, in this cutscene. But know, beyond that, you actually get into shooting action that's just boring. There's no tension. It's just they, there's this, this misunderstanding on the developer's behalf. And there were 600 people worked in this game, which is incredible. Um, and it came out three weeks early. Maybe it shouldn't have. But <laughs> there's this misunderstanding that if you get forced to walk through empty hallways for a couple minutes, that when you arrive in a big room where you're going to have a shootout with a bunch of gross, nasty, mutated zombies, that that's tense. But it's not. It's just mm. like, all right, I'm going from point A to point B. Point B is where the action occurs. All right, now on to point C. So, so I was looking at some of the reviews, um, and Destructoid seems to have captured the essence of your rant perfectly. <laughs> um, and they, they say Resident Evil 6 is a Michael Bay movie. Um, there's really no more polite way to put it. Stuffed to the gills with bombastic action segments, car chases, and relentless chaos, Capcom has abandoned any pretense of the survival horror genre, survival horror genre, and embraced a world of skin-deep Hollywood audacity. And then my favorite part is listlessly wallowing in the depthless waters of homogeneity. Resident Evil 6 is a coward of a game, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> they gave it a 30, but I was like, yeah. as you were, it was so funny. I was reading through the reviews and then you were talking and I was like, my God, you you could have written this <laughs> it's, it's perfectly. <laughs> well, and, it's, and that's what's kind of disappointing. It, it kind of, you saw the first Transformers movie, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was pretty cool. I, I actually thought it was all right. It was pretty fun, and I understood why sequels were made. I actually didn't see the sequels. But the ending action sequence, that huge battle in the downtown yep. cityscape, yep. that was one of the first times where I was watching something like, wow, this is so cool, but I've become numb because it just keeps going on and on, and I don't even really know what the hell's going on anymore. That it's just the like thing. there's shit flying everywhere, and, it's just like, and then you just kind of like your eyes glaze over, and it just so keeps going on. So that that's like what's really interesting is if you take that battle in the city at the end of that and you compare it to the Avengers, which had kind of the same kind of battle in the middle of a city, but they were during that battle they would they were constantly going to like the efforts of the key characters and what they were trying to accomplish, and so you felt like there was a reason for it all and it wasn't just yeah. all like candy, you know? I mean, yeah. you you under and there was like character development going on and there was, you know, the confrontation with Hulk and Loki which was like the best most comedic <laughs> thing I've seen in a movie in years. I mean, yeah. it was like it's like you could see how you could take all of that special effects and all that, you know, bombastic action 
and make it make sense in a way that is still, you know, pure eye candy, but there is still something moving along there and a human element to it too, you know, it's like the Hulk yeah. and everything. It's like, you know, people can really use these tools that we have now in a way that, you know, I'm sure it looked great as they like looked at each atomic part of resident evil six as they were working on like, Oh my God, with this technology and these, these, you know, the, uh, the models that we've got and, you know, everything we're able to pull off now, it looks great. But when you put it together, it sounds like it just totally missed it. And and they lost the whole horror, survival horror genre part of it, right? I mean... Yeah, well, seems... what they try to do is, and this is why I feel guilty in a way to criticize it, is that they try to spare no expense. And they basically have put together four games in one. Mm-hmm. Whereas... Previous only Resident Evil Two actually had two different campaigns where you play two different characters going through a city, and their paths were kind of different. They would overlap here and there. In this one, there's four different campaigns, and one campaign is supposed to be based off of more classic Resident Evil, where it's dark and stormy, and there's slow-moving zombies, and it's more suspenseful and jump scares. The second one is a is kind of like a balls to the wall action shooter, third-person shooter, kind of like. Gears of War, or kind of like how Resident Evil 5 was, just like an evolution of that. And right. the third campaign is all about being relentlessly cha- chased by this nearly invincible monster, which is kind of like Resident Evil 3. And then the fourth campaign, which you have to unlock, is really puzzle-heavy and really about being stealthy and trying to sneak around and not get caught because you'll be killed. It's all this content. I mean, it's one of the biggest and most expensive action games ever made. You get so much for your money, but if it's not fun or if it's not affecting you, it can be a real letdown. I mean, I'm a, as much of a fan of cheesy, over-the-top, bombastic summer movie experiences as anybody else. But when there's yeah. no breathing room or comedy or really... As, as much as I like these characters in the Resident Evil franchise, uh, there really hasn't been much in the way of character development of them throughout the years. It's been really light, if not non-existent. I just, I mean, I like some characters because of how they look or I like their voice actors, or I enjoyed a level that I played with them, but I don't really know who these people are. And even if that were there, if that were there, it could help me a little bit in terms of caring about what's going on. Because these are people that right. I've grown to know, that I know their backstories and stuff like that, but they're just soldiers for hire, and there's not really a lot of background to it. It's just quite unfortunate, really. <laughs> So the funny thing was, is this was really, really lots of anger, lots of controversy across Twitter, across websites, and Capcom, the executive producer of the game, gave probably the shittiest response they could have given <laughs> the next day. So let me just let me just set the stage for this. Now is the time. The stage was set for his shining moment to come out and to say the right things that would get galvanize the community into reconsidering this game in a new light, perhaps, but instead he has two quotes and I think they kind of speak for themselves. The first thing he said <laughs> is the way I always think of it is that if resident evil represents a child then the fans and us as creators are the two parents, the resulting games are like the children that are born between both of us. And just like real parents, you're not always going to agree on what is best for raising that child. The other metaphor you could take from that is that that the the fans are the mother and he is the father and he fucked the mother. Yeah. Or he's abusive to the kid. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's possible too. 
his next quote, which really pissed me off, was, it's our job to create a new gaming experience and to offer them something that's fresh and challenging. We want to make sure that what we do pleases them, but the initial reaction may not always be positive. We do listen to the fans, but we can't be beholden to them at every turn, or I don't think we'll ever make progress in terms of the series development. <laughs> I'm like, Jackass fans are the people that pay your damn bills. Well, it's kind of interesting in this to compare this to the Mass Effect 3 thing, because in that I think everyone agreed the fans were a little bit too entitled. Yeah. But in this case, he's defending a crap, a crappy release, you know, that's kind of diminished the series the both the press and the fans yeah like, whereas with mass effect 3 it got glowing reviews pretty much across the right. board there wasn't anybody who jumped out there's like three out of ten i hate the ending well, that's exactly right so it makes you kind of makes you think maybe he should have thought about it just a little more before coming out with that statement yeah it's, it's just really pompous and presumptuous and i definitely agree that games cannot stagnate when they're being sequelized major franchises can't you can get away with that maybe for a trilogy but you have to have something fresh gears of war let's that's an example of a trilogy that for the most part only had some small evolutions between one two and three but they didn't mess with it they kind of left it what it was because they knew fans like that then they added some cool multiplayer modes but you know they just didn't really screw with the formula Silent Hill is a game where that kind of just stagnated. It's like the same story, just with different people, but it's the same environment. And there's some cool backstory. There's cool psychology to the characters, but you kind of feel like you're playing this same game. You're going through the same beats, which is nothing wrong with that, because if you love Silent Hill, you're like, right on. Another awesome right. Silent Hill game, right on. But the sales started to go down. And so the Japanese team was like, well, screw this. We don't know what to do with it. And they farmed out the development for, like, I think the last three or four sequels to Western Studios. And pretty much almost all of them have flopped. And each of these studios has tried to go and do something really new, really different. And the games still flop. So it's it's a delicate balancing act. You want to keep fans happy, but you also want to take it somewhere because you don't want the series to stagnate. Right. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't know. It's just... Y you know, it is cool that they didn't want to stagnate, but God, <laughs> sounds like a big, big move in the wrong direction. Well, what's interesting is the fourth game in the series, Resident Evil 4, uh, it actually had three different versions before the actual version that was developed, completed and shipped to stores. Resident Evil 4, to many people, is the best game in the series next to Resident Evil 2. And I remember being looking forward to that game and hearing like, oh, it's been delayed again. Oh, it's been delayed again. We have totally different screenshots. It's a totally different backstory. It really changed dramatically from one version to the next. Mm -hmm. But that was good because that creator, the actual original series creator, was involved there. And he's like, you know what? This kind of sucks. And I think the problem has been since Resident Evil 5 and Resident Evil 6 is no one's really had the balls to get in there and say, um, okay, all of this sounds awesome on paper. And there's definitely some kind of cool stuff about it. But we need to just focus and do one thing good. I would have loved Resident Evil 6 if it had actually been Half-Life episode half-life two episodes where it's like all right we basically want to put four games in one which is an awesome value proposition but let's actually just make it one campaign make it really awesome make this resident evil six episode one then work on the second one then do the third one versus try to ship everything out and then it's all jack of all trades master of none right <laughs> it's painful 
you think what six of them under their belt say to have learned some lessons already, but we'll see. I've, I, I'm still early in the game. My point of view may evolve or, or change right now. I'm just kind of underwhelmed as much as I just really want to love it. Cause I love the series. I love the characters for whatever reason. And I like the action. And we have but, to figure out what night to see the damn movie. Yeah, exactly. So once we yeah. do that, we'll also have that to talk about on the show. Yeah, I got to figure that out soon because I'm, I'm dying to see it. <laughs> Me too. Something that we haven't really gotten into though is true competitive gaming, like our friend Ryan that we've had on the show before. And League of Legends, our one of our favorite games to play, which is, has become so dominant, so powerful, in competitive gaming, is finally four years in, wrapping up season two, quote unquote. Right. The big final tournament underway. And it's just a big deal. You go to League of Legends websites, you're going to just be seeing all sorts of streaming game action and all this professional shout casting, play-by-play analysis and narration. It's really cool. I, and I'm kind of glad that it's wrapping up because I want more innovation. <laughs> as much as I love yeah. the game, I love Dominion, and I'd love to see them experiment like that again. Oh, I and would too. There's just as many people, probably way more... We we know that we know Mark, who would say, "Stop screwing around and actually fix the game. It's so unbalanced. These characters suck." Da 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 da. Right. But I don't know if they can ever do that. I don't think they can ever reach that golden pinnacle that everybody says they need to do in terms of polishing things. And if they're just going to keep going on forward with like releasing a new hero every two weeks, right? Improving character models where they can when they get the bandwidth, then let them make another map. Let him make another mode. It could be as cool as Dominion. Mag- magma Chamber, perhaps? Hmm? Just yeah. saying. Um, so I think it's interesting, the some of the teams that they've assembled here the, the for the tournament and, and what they who they represent. And I don't know, have you looked into them at all? Like the uh, the, the favorites and the, the unlucky one, the contenders? They've kind of got them in, in categories on PC Gamer. No, go ahead. Oh, sure. So... Um, the, the team's favored to win. There's the Moscow Five, a Russian team, as you might have imagined. Um, they uh, have the Taipei Assassins from Taiwan. The Team Solo Mid, which is... In, also, right now, you can show your support of the team that you want to win by changing your um, Summoner's logo to that. So I, I need to go and change mine to Team Solo Mid, because they're the ones I want to win. And the... Um, you can go to PC Gamer to get like a rundown on all the teams that are competing. And Team WE from China, um, they uh, so those are the ones that are favored. Then there's the unlucky one, as they call it, um, which is um, Azubu Azubu Frost from Korea, South Korea, one would imagine. And then there's the contenders: SK Gaming from the from Europe. Um, Dignatas, a North American one, which is like some kind of a Intel, Alienware, Antech, Creative, Western Digital, and Twitch TV sponsored team. Wow. Which sounds pretty powerful. Najin Sword from Korea. Um, they played in their first tournament a month ago. They kind of came out from nowhere wow. to win the Korean regional qualifiers. Um, so they've only got two tournaments under their belts, but they're looking insanely good. Um, Invictus Gaming from China. Um, and then there's these underdogs. CLG Prime, which is a bunch of old school League of Legends players. 
Um, Hotshot GG is the founder. Um, oh yeah, I remember them. They've got um, CLG EU, from EU um, from Europe. Um, I'm not familiar with them. Saigon Jokers. I just love the name. They're from Southeast Asia. That's great. And they are the de- definitive underdog. They've never won a match against the rivals, the Taipei Assassins. If they make it to day two, it could get very emotional is what that quote is. <laughs> well, it's just really cool to see these teams come together. The fact that we can show our support for, you know, the, the different teams that are there. That's really um, cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really kind of looking forward to uh, to seeing what happens. I haven't been following it up in, until now, but I, I plan to kind of start to really watch this and watch some of the video, which they've now is oh, now so you addictive. can actually watch it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been like trying some different characters lately, which has been on my own, which is interesting. So it'll be kind of I, the characters I do play. I'm very familiar with the way I play them and how other people play them. But these new characters, you know, I've only been on the receiving end typically of their <laughs> their gameplay <laughs> and skill. So it'll be interesting to watch and see, you know, how somebody plays an Ash really well, aside from just, you know, when they nail you with that long shot arrow from oh, hell. Yeah. Which yeah, I yeah. I've been trying to play Ash and I never have hit anything except like <laughs> accidentally once. <laughs> it's so gratifying though, if you can master that. Oh, God. Oh, it can be yeah. devastating. It's like, damn you. <laughs> oh, the one I, n- I never play, um, but I, I, I had really liked initially was Karthus. And um, I was playing the other night, and somebody had nearly taken out three of their players, and Karthus had his ulti up. And his ulti causes this, like, red fire stuff to come out of the sky and, and do damage to every opposing player. And, and we were like, Karthus, do it. Yeah. yeah, we were like, do it. And he did it, and he got, like, a... Uh, a quadra kill, I guess, because oh there's another gosh. guy, and he he like about wet himself, and he was like, "Hold <laughs> on a minute, guys, I, I I've never managed to pull this off before. I don't know what to do now." <laughs> so, that is so cool. It was so funny to see him actually get that quadra kill show up, but um, but anyway, yeah. So esports um is really taking off, although there is a little bit of um concern from some of the players over this one i guess really oh yeah wasn't it the um the um there's an article we have here about how there was some misconception oh yeah yeah there was some um, controversy during packs that the blizzard and riot were enacting these exclusivity agreements they're like well if you're going to make a team that plays dota 2 you can't play league of legends and vice versa yeah and dota 2 people were saying that to league of legends teams and that was a big misconception apparently um it was a miscommunication it wasn't true but it caused a whole lot of angst and confusion yeah and you know it's it's really there's a, a great interview over on GameSpot. this interview with riot vp of esports if you haven't really gotten into competitive gaming or really ever checked out the ins and outs, it's a really cool way to get familiar with like, wow, I had no idea that there were all these contract negotiations. There's an arena being built in Los Angeles. There's all this discussion about prize money and how is that set up? Who sponsors what? What about the the various leagues? How do you get your representation there? It's just like, it's really fascinating. Yeah. So check that out. Yeah. And something else I think is really worth mentioning about League of Legends that I almost forgot. They actually implemented a positive feedback interface this week called Honor 
which I am really excited about. I understand Dota 2 has something kind of similar, but not being the Dota 2, I'm not familiar with it. Just, But just in general, I'm not familiar with the ability to give somebody praise right. in a game through an actual in-game system. I mean, yeah, you can be, chat it, online or type a text message, but this is totally yeah. different. It's cool. It, it'd be kind of like if Facebook only had unlike and didn't have like, and then all of a sudden they added like. Or if my personal dream is that Facebook would add unlike since they do have like. So <laughs> then I could say to my friends who post stuff that I think is retarded, I really don't like this. <laughs> you know, a little bit of, you know. That's a really great metaphor. That's totally a, a great way of putting it. Yeah. Cause yeah. You can report people. And you can yeah, we have the tribunal, which the tribunal is one of the most stunning achievements, I believe, of of gaming and um, automated um, community. Well, letting Justice. a community, ju- yeah, letting a community kind of um, you know police control itself, yeah. police itself, yeah. But this honor thing, I thought at first I was like, oh, no big deal. But then I started playing games and I started getting people saying, oh, I was friendly or I was helpful or then I was an honorable opponent. And it like it kind of gives you this warm and fuzzy thing, you know, you're like, because you don't really know when you're going to get them. And sometimes they show up when you log in and sometimes it happens right after a game. It's it's kind of interesting the way it works out. And I I've, I think I've been getting more honor points from opponents than from my own teammates so far, which probably means I'm not communicating enough or I'm too <laughs> grumpy. But most of the opponents are, you know, because usually during the course of the game, I'll be like, you know, that was a great shot or, you know, well, well done. And I don't mean it, you know, sarcastically most of the time. Most of the time I'm sincere in saying, you know, I really did not anticipate the fact that you would be able to take me out <laughs> or something, and then they did it, and you're like, wow, well well done. Well played, sir. So it's kind of a cool thing. I like it. Um, I don't know. Have you, have you experienced it yet, Noah? I haven't yet, but I'm really excited to because just the ability to give positive feedback sounds so refreshing, and I also really like that it's not incentivized. You don't currently get any rewards for receiving honor or stockpiling it or, or whatnot. It's just, it's treated the same way as reporting something. If you're going to be passionate enough to be angry about someone and say, this person totally screwed up my game, let's be passionate enough to give some actual positive feedback as well. And you don't right. get rewarded either way. I mean, in the tribunal, you can get rewarded for reading through chat logs and making a judgment one way or the other against a player who's been reported. Right. But I kind of like that the system doesn't have any incentives yet. It's It makes it more genuine to me. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, you're just doing it out of the goodness of your own heart. And I think people can look at your summoner record and see it, but that's all it is. You you don't get anything. Yeah. Um, you actually can get rewards for referring people to League of Legends, which I actually have referred enough people. I started to get some IP now, which is kind of cool. Um, and I think if you refer enough people to the game, you can even get, like, um, a really... Uh, a skin for Warwick that you can't obtain any other way. But this is just, you know, totally different, and I, I, I really like it. it. It really makes the game, I don't know, friendlier, <laughs> for lack of a better word. It's nice. Yeah, which it can need. It, it can use because these MOBA games, the learning curve is so high, and once people get good at it, they can be so short-tempered and demanding of new people or people who don't play for six months and then come back, like myself. <laughs> right. It can just be kind of rough. I don't know. The break was good for me. I'm glad I took the time off because coming back, I have kind of a new, I don't know, a new um, 
What would you say? I'm not. Perspective? It's not. Yeah. New, thank you. The words have escaped me. It's probably because <laughs> I didn't get to eat dinner tonight, so I'm kind of. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I didn't. I. I just the timing. I had a bunch of stuff going on, and I got home late. And then my kids had. Uh, had they had their own thing going on. So by the time I got everybody sorted out, I was it was ready to record. But um, yeah, perspective. I have a different perspective of it, and and I'm enjoying it a lot more. So. I'm trying a bunch of new stuff. I'm not in a rut anymore. I'm trying all kinds of different characters, champions, cool. so that's fun. So Riot has shown how it can kind of just come out of nowhere, make its own version of a MOBA game, and have phenomenal success with a free-to-play model. And by following the blueprint of an existing game, making it its own, and getting people to just totally love it, on top of that, there have been a lot of developers and notable figures in the last couple months saying single-player games are on their way out. And I think <laughs> even most recently, I think good old Rob Pardo, who's what, he's like director of World of Warcraft? Yeah. He, he made a statement just this last week saying single-player single games are slowly dying or, or quickly dying. I can't remember. It was just kind of a dire prediction. So this next console generation, at least, should be really interesting. What are the types of games we're going to have in our libraries we may have lots of multiplayer games but we also may start to see a lot of free-to-play microtransaction games that fall in the footsteps of what riot's done in fact xbox live next week is getting its first microtransaction driven free-to-play game next week so the change begins now the game is called happy wars and it's made by japanese developer toy something or other I can't recall. It's it's not truly free in that you have to have an Xbox Live Gold subscription to play it for free. But if you do, you can play it without purchasing anything. But then you can also purchase additional items. Uh, the company's Toy Logic. There we go. And yeah. it's basically a 15 versus 15 battle arena that looks a lot like Castle Crashers and Fat Princess. Just people well, running around and bashing each other. And from another perspective, especially when they show it, the video with from an aerial view, which I'm not sure what that was, but it kind of reminded me of like Battlefield Heroes, which is kind of a cartoonish take on oh, Battlefield, yeah. and it's free-to-play, and it's got that just kind of all-out destruction thing going on. But yeah, the... Um, the art styling is very reminiscent of ca Castle Crashers with the with a more 3D-ish look, of course, but it yeah. looks it's kind of like South Park meets Castle Crashers meets Battlefield Heroes, yeah. maybe. But it looks fun. It looks crazy. <laughs> I mean, it could be pretty cool, yeah, just yeah, some chaotic it, zaniness. Yeah, totally insane. I'm really excited to see how this game does. It certainly won't be the last attempt at making a free-to-play game on consoles. That there will be more in the future, whether this one succeeds or fails. But if it succeeds, wow, it'll be really cool to see what happens next for it. And if we just start to see a whole deluge of free-to-play games across all systems. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it takes off. And I, I hope we see more like it, too. Getting back to Blizzard, were you surprised that Mists of Pandaria has sold almost as many copies in, in its first week as Wrath of the Lich King. Well, you know, my predictions of the future have never been good at all. And so I predicted that the 
World of Warcraft community would shun this and that their user count would con- or you know active player count would continue to plummet. And instead, they managed to sell 2.7 million copies in the first week, and their subscriptions are back up to around 10 million. Um, now, you have to take this into the context that it's not as big of a hit as Cataclysm, which sold, I think, 3.3 million in the first day or first 24 hours. Yeah, that was the um, biggest hit of all. Of all right, and at that time, their subscriptions were way higher, like close to 12 million, but still... Um, it did not. It was not the major failure that I had kind of hoped would happen because <laughs> I thought they needed a lesson. Instead, it you know people are you know drinking the Kool Aid and playing it. And I don't know. I'm you know I have I have like I mean I'm torn on it. Right. It's just it seems so silly that it's basically like you know they've basically made Kung Fu Panda real. You know, what's next, right? Will it be The Incredibles, where you have a super... What are they going to base it on, you know? I don't know. Will it, or Finding Nemo, maybe, would be better, where it's all aquatic, and you're, you get to be a fish with one one fin that's smaller than the other one, and, and another fish with amnesia. I don't know. But it it I guess it just goes to show that people really do love World of Warcraft, and it continues to be enigmatic and, and a bit of an outlier as far as predicting trends in MMOs and subscription-based MMOs at that, because nothing else has ever come close to what they've done. I mean, if you look at the fact that they sold 2.7 million copies in the first week of an expansion, that, I think, was more than, than they managed to do with... Um, with the Burning Crusade. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so so they're on the up and up with it. I mean, it's 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 crazy. And I've been thinking too that, you know, when my kids are older, World of Warcraft would probably be the first kind of like multiplayer game that I'd want to play with them just because of the cartoon angle and stuff, although, you know, you have to keep track of the chat logs, <laughs> especially yeah. in the, in some areas like the barons or whatever, but but I could totally see it because of the cartoon kind of appeal and the fact that it is, you know, such a complete game and it is there is so much content, the wonderful music, the art direction, all that stuff. It's all still there. It's still, you know, as good as it ever was and has even more content now. But uh, it's not for me right now. That's for sure. Yeah. You don't but feel it, you don't feel an urge to be one of the 2.7 million. I haven't played World of Warcraft since Burning Crusade. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't there there were a couple emotional echoes, I guess I could call it in the year after I stopped playing Burning Crusade and we were playing other stuff like Warhammer and Age of Conan and stuff like that, where like I'd go to the Renaissance Festival and be like, I want to play a game that's like this. That would be World of Warcraft. And then I wouldn't do it. But there I thought stuff in Cataclysm looked really cool. Lich King getting back to the Arthas storyline was kind of cool, but just not enough to make me want to plunk down 15 bucks a month. I'll tell you what, though, since you bought your Dragon Age um, collector's edition or whatever with all the stuff, that'll definitely sate that hunger for, for Yes, that. for some medieval fantasy RPG yeah, action. Yeah, it will, it will. It will do the job. And if you have any leftover after you're done with that and you don't jo- roll right into Dragon Age 2... Um, Guild Wars 2 might work for you because it's oh yeah it is awesome. I'm still playing the hell out of that game and it it's really good. I I was so skeptical and then I remembered ArenaNet, you know they they did 
such a good job with the original Guild Wars, the way they did the expansions, their model was totally different. And then when they could have just kept expanding the crap out of Guild Wars, they said to themselves and to us, we have things we want to pull off that we can't do with this engine. It's not even close. We're going to just have to make one more expansion for you, and then we're going to go into, you know, undercover mode as we work on this next great thing, and it is the next great thing. So hats off to those guys for pulling it off. Um, no kidding. And then on a tangent, I've been <laughs> following up on City of Heroes and everything that's going on, and there's, you know, all these petitions, and NCSoft came out with a thing um, recently that said, we hear you, but it's just not going to happen. And they Aww. tried to make it. They tried to like make it a little better. They they mentioned that it was a passion of theirs as well, which is total bullshit. <laughs> um, but basically, the problem is that Asian um, the Asian market does not connect with the game in any way, shape, or form, and it does not fit in with their business model at all. And that's why it's going to be that is know, so lame. That's the problem. Nobody, they can't take that game and sell it in Asia. They can't do anything to it. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, they can, they can change the language and, you know, and everything, but it's just not appealing to Asian markets. And that's the problem with it. That's kind of lame. So that means that North America and Europe aren't substantial or sufficient enough to justify it staying around. No, nor the fact that it's technically profitable. It just does not fit with their, their model or their direction. Yes. Oh. And th- and so they, you know, they mentioned several times how passionate they are about it, but they're still going to kill it. Um, so the user community is, there's a lot of people, you know, trying to see if they can buy it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so far, n- nobody has an answer. There's a th- there's talk of a Kickstarter project um, that has not yet happened. And, of course, people are talking about building a server server emulator for it. Currently, nothing exists like that, but server emulators have been around for a long time since Ultima Online, the first MMO. Um, there's definitely several ones for um, games like uh, World of Warcraft, Asheron's Call, things like that. Mm-hmm. So there's there's some talk that somebody might build a, a server emulator, and then people can have private servers where they can still play it. But everybody would be much happier if some company would just take it on and, you know, get a live team for it together and keep it rolling. And uh, it doesn't look like anyone's able to step up at this point. So it's still supposed to end. I think November 30th is the last day. So are you going to play again? Uh, I'm thinking about it, yeah. Now that now that it looks so bleak, I think I really... There's supposed to be a series of events leading up to the eventual end of the world. Um, and... I remember from Asheron's Call 2 and some other games that the end of the world events could actually be pretty cool because the really passionate um, live teams that, you know, are making the game, they tend to put a lot into those. Um, and so it's not trivial, and I'd, I'd like to see what they do. So I think I'm going to try and get resubscribed, even though my NCSoft account is totally screwed up right now. We'll see if we can straighten it out and get back in. Something else I'm curious, have you yet tried World of Tanks? I have not tried it. I know Scott... Scott um, loves that game. Southern Fried Scott loves that game. Has a, I think he has more games in World of Tanks than he has in League of Legends now, you know, played. Which isn't um, surprising because, like, a World of Tanks game can take, like, five minutes. 
Yeah, so he might not have as much time in it yet as with League of Legends, but he's got a lot, and he's a big Catching player. Up, yeah. yeah, and he loves that game, and I I like what they're doing, but I just am not that fascinated with tanks. Now, what's funny is I say that, but they're also working on World of Planes, the same company. When they do that, I will no doubt lose my life to that because I love like World War II vintage aircraft. Oh, me too. I can name I can name from the profile pretty much any World War II era. American plane that you 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 show American. right American, <laughs> but uh, you know I'm into that. And also, if they had like a world of like submarines or something like that, I'd probably be into that too. That could be tanks, sweet. tanks just don't do it for me. But I love what the company's doing. I love the direction. I've seen a lot of stuff on World of Planes when that comes out. I'm sure to be a player. Um, but I got to say the fact that they have hit 40 million registered users for that sucker, that is pretty inspiring. I, I don't know what the league of legends registered user count is, but I'm sure it's gigantic, um, compared to that, but that is pretty impressive. It is. That's cause that's just by title alone. That's a game that you, you think, oh, there's another one of those crap free to play games that'll never take off and will just be a dud. But this one is def- the odds thanks to its gameplay and accessibility and become quite the little number yeah I, I think it's a great sign I wish more companies would come out with more products like this you know where they're yeah. free to play and you can just jump in and it's a high quality game I mean uh, despite it not being my cup of tea to be a you know to simulate playing a tank even yeah. though I, I did love Battlefield when I was a kid um Every screenshot I've seen, every movie I've seen for it, it looks so well done. Yeah. Something else that had a big number announced this week was Facebook. It has finally hit the big one billion users. One billion. Week. You have your little finger in the in the corner of your mouth <laughs> when you say that? Yeah. And it's a bit... I don't know if it's a bit of a kludge because... It's 1 billion users who are, quote-unquote, actively spending time with the site. So how many of those could potentially be bots? I don't know. I mean, are there really a billion people in the world that have Internet access and are engaged in Facebook? I'm not sure. Well, there's so many phones now that are smartphones. I I could almost see it. Yeah, Um, I don't think it's inconceivable. But the thing is, is as big as Facebook is getting the gaming popularity – has not been growing along with it. If anything, it's kind of been cooling down a little bit, just from what I can interpret peripherally and what I've seen in the news. Thank God. Zynga's not doing good, for instance. It's having its own issues. Of course, that extends beyond just its games, but also to its management. Yeah, and its attitude, which is shit. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Did I say that? My gosh. <laughs> I was channeling, like, another another channel massive uh, person. But it's true. Yeah, so uh, the funny thing is, is while Facebook continues to get bigger, I read a story about people that are starting to pull the plug on their Facebook and that there was a stat, and I just can't remember what it was, where it had actually gone down. And I can't remember if it's actually people who are engaging with the website or signing into it or actually people just creating accounts. I mean, inevitably, market saturation has to be reached at some point. Surely we're there by now. Right, right. But even when I think about it, it's just like there are just some days, especially recently, where I'm just like, I just want to just shut this down. Really? I don't participate in it. 
I don't get anything out of it. Usually when I read stuff on there, it just annoys me. <laughs> I just, it's completely unfulfilling. Have you, you now we've, we've talked about it in the past. The, uh, there's a, there's a website that you can Google for called Facebook suicide, where you can, you can sign up and have it like just destroy your Facebook page. Like one, one link, link at a time, one friend at a time. It slowly dismantles it and shreds it and, you can schedule it. It's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. I I personally right now I'm probably more into Facebook than I've ever been before in my life, and it's I think it's mostly just because um, there's a few groups that I've joined that are interesting to me. Um, some are some deal with my hometown I come from. Some deal with interests that I have. Um, but the people that I'm you know, running into on Facebook from there are people that I, you know, I used to know a long time ago. And it's just interesting to see how they've, you know, kind of quote unquote grown up and what their likes are and dislikes are. Um, so for me right now, it's, it's kind of a nice hangout. And it's sad that Google plus, you know, everybody was going to like drop Facebook like a bad habit and go with Google plus and Google plus just did not work out. And everybody's back to Facebook. That's into this whole social networking thing. So I don't know. I guess it just depends on what you're into it for and 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 what where you are. Because I think mm-hmm. there's times where I've gone, you know, like I don't know, six months without putting anything on Facebook, and then there's like right now, it's like I think today I probably put like six things up for my timeline or something, you know. Well, what's funny is I have an inverse to it in that while I'm, com- I'm completely disinterested with Facebook, I've gotten really into Twitter. And I wouldn't say that I'm like a huge tweeting maniac, but I post tweets every week, yeah, almost almost every weekday, Monday through Friday. There are some days where I just kind of skip it, but I can get just sucked into just reading things and stuff like that. And I think it's because I've I've cultivated my Twitter to be pretty much almost purely gaming related. The people that I follow, the stuff that I write about, it's all gaming related. It's perfect for me. Whereas Facebook is this yucky hodgepodge of like <laughs> supervisors and coworkers and then people that are totally acquaintances and then like family and just like it's a mix of people that I can't think of anything that I'd want to say to all of them at once and it's just and it's not cultivated in any way to be just family and I know that some people really like Facebook because like I only have my really close friends on it or just my family or maybe they just use it for groups like you're talking about Mark Right, but I don't right. have that. It's just this mix. And I think maybe if I went through there and weeded out people and just unfriended people that I don't really have a true connection with or really want to have one with, maybe I'd like it more. That could be, yeah. You know, and Twitter to me has never been my cup of tea. So um, except that when we were live blogging at E3, that's been about the only time I've ever really liked it. There's a Actually, I take that back. I follow like three people on um, Twitter, Sean Elliott, um, Jeff Green and like a, I, well, actually no award. And, <laughs> and those are like the most interesting things I ever see on Twitter, but most of the other stuff just, it, I don't know. It seems like people kind of come and go on there. They don't, they don't stick with it or if they do. So I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting where, how social networking is. I think we can all agree that MySpace just needs to be closed down <laughs> Well, have you seen the new concept video that shows how it's going to be redesigned? No. It's is it pretty, like this? 
it's kind of like twi- it's kind of like Pinterest, except it scrolls sideways. It's the best way for me to just nutshell it. It looks clean. It's a nicer interface and stuff, but I don't know. I don't. I'm skeptical that it'll take off. It's it's a bold and ambitious reinvention, which is definitely what the site needed. Right. But and the video makes it look really sweet because it's like the ideal world where there's just all of these colorful, well taken photos, and it's, you're interacting with musicians and pop stars and stuff like that. And there's this cool dynamic maps stuff that gets tied in, but it just looks like a glorified Pinterest. It's very photo focused and it's just scrolls sideways instead of vertically. Oh, well that's, really, that's not so great. I'm grossly simplifying it. I'm sure there's a lot more to it than that. It's like the app the store for iPhones. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So we'll, I, I don't think that I'm signing up for MySpace anytime soon either. <laughs> right. But would you start to consider using Steam as your one-stop shop for all software? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Well, I already do for gaming. Like, it's my first choice. And if it's not available there, then, you know, I go to good old games. And if it's not available there, then I go to the actual, you know, publisher of the game. But definitely for, for games, it's it's the place I like to be the most. I mean, it's got the right community for me. It's easy to download. It's, you know, it, it doesn't have DRM issues, except that you have to be connected to the internet. So the fact that, you know, they're opening an application store, we, we talked about it previously, but now it's actually happened. I think it's just awesome. Yeah. If, if that, we've talked about this before, but if it actually translates into some killer sales, on productivity software, I'm all about it too. Well, you know what they really need are some of the, the you know high profile stuff. Like if they could get Adobe, everything from Adobe to be available and have you know sales at odd times when you're vulnerable, that would be really good. <laughs> um, I don't know what other app application um, maker do you think would be like, kind of like the killer. Well, uh, from a podcast perspective, seeing some good audio podcast-related things up there, or yeah, music band recording music. Oh, stuff. that's a good point. Like so, DAW yeah. stuff, like like good, like um, you know, like sonar, um, uh, some of the different effects, all the music. Yeah. Oh, that'd be awesome. Now, one thing I did find on there when they initially launched, I went and downloaded Game Maker Studio, and I've been doing some of the tutorials on that, and it's really pretty cool. Um, it's it's considered, I think, it's not considered quite quote unquote professional level software for making games, but then what is really right? Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, a lot of people that have used it say that they can they can use it to create like a prototype. Um, so fast that you know it's it's pretty much unparalleled. They 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 say that a lot of the designers that have like talked about it have said, well, a lot of times when I'm trying to get a developer on my team to put together some feature for a game, I just go ahead and prototype it out in Game Maker and show it to them. It's much easier to do that than to explain it to them any other way. So that's one of the titles that they have right off the bat. And I think that's pretty cool. And what's really cool is it kind of like feeds the system. It's like, wow, if you use Game Maker Studio to create a game, then you can go ahead and market it on Steam. And, you know, it's like this, like almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy or a, a loop, an infinite loop of some sort. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I've been messing around with that. It's really cool. And 
I, I don't know. I just, I think it's really cool to see them go this direction. Um, it's by no means a shocker. Um, the, the real shocker was that steam ever launched in the first place. Um, but, yeah. uh, hopefully, you know, they'll get more, um, more titles that they can put up there and start to have some of those killer sales uh, again, which will, you know, catch Noah and I in a moment of weakness. And then we'll be like, Oh, Damn it! I just bought a Dolby Creative Suite six. Yeah. For for two dollars, and I'd feel guilty, but you know, <laughs> I wish. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that yeah, be great totally. to be able to license some of those productivity tools at like a, you know, a killer price point instead of mm-hmm. you know being bent over. Yeah, yeah, with those astronomical prices, I definitely know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, and the thing is, and I, I'm going to be like really honest here, you know a lot of productivity tools get pirated and a lot of people, you know, will attempt to pirate, um, you know, productivity suites like, well, even OS is like a lot of people have got windows distributions that are not, you know, legitimate that didn't come with a the computer they bought cause they built or for whatever reason. And then, you know, there's stuff like the Adobe stuff, which basically if you try to pirate Adobe CS six, you will be exposed to so many viruses and so much malware in the first, you know, 30 minutes of that venture that you will be shocked into considering maybe my time is worth more to just buy it than to try to pirate it. Well, and, and it, as it turns out, I actually did just buy it <laughs> recently. Oh, is that right? What does it yeah. cost, if I might ask? for? Well, like a, I got a really sweet deal because I also recently upgraded a previous version that I had, but the oh, default good. price, if you get the, if you just get a plain, the nice creative suite set up, it's like 1200 bucks new. It's a lot of money. That's all as much. It's about as much as a computer. It's more than a computer in some cases. I had, I had my, um, I had my audio muted right then and there, but if, if you could have heard it, there was a gulping noise <laughs> of, of horror. But no, my mom is trying to do it too. She's trying to get like, um, she just wants Illustrator and Photoshop. She doesn't need all of it. Um, and she's trying to do like the student package. And even that is, you know, fairly pricey, but she makes a living teaching and tutoring it. So she's, you know, doing it through her educational um, place, but they don't pay for it. They don't buy it for their teachers or tutors or even students, you know, so. And even that, it's not cheap. Yeah, it's painful. And it's a shame because it's the best software out there still. Right. It's not like there's a really, truly competitive freeware alternative. I mean, some people will be like, GIMP is awesome, but I'm still a Photoshop Adobe fanboy. At the end no, of the I, that's my problem is I've, I've always used um, the GIMP for my Photoshop stuff and like um, Inkscape for the Illustrator stuff. And I have to tell you that there is no way in hell, even if I was good at what I did with it, that I would be able to keep up with somebody like you with the real tools, you know? Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the freeware stuff is, or the, you know, it, it's good, but it's just, it's hard to equal <laughs> what it's, what it's, you know, based on. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Un, un, unless you're talking about, um, of course, Sonar versus Reaper. Yeah. Yeah, that's one where I am all the way for the free software. Well, <laughs> the, the budget software. 
They have to win sometimes. But anyway, it's yeah, but I guess back to our point was, wouldn't it be cool, though, if, like, all these premium, you know, software applications were available on Steam and were subject to sales occasionally? God, that'd yeah. be awesome. Would be. And I think I think they would actually end up making a lot of money because people would would see that, you know, super sale and you know, in the summer where they tend to really hit you hard and go, Man, maybe I could afford this at, you know, forty percent off. Something I'm really interested to see, and let's make this our, our last story for the intro Geddon. We talked about it before. Karateka, Karataka, Karatika, whatever you want to call it. Karateka. It's coming really soon. It's going to be here in November, at least on Xbox Live. And the first screens were revealed. Now, Karateka, Karateka, whatever, had a really distinctive rotoscope look. Very Prince of Persia-esque, original Prince of Persia. And I loved it. I really loved the design. And I'm curious, Mark, just for you to check out the, the initial screenshots that were revealed via the Xbox information page for the game. What do you think of the design of the game? Well, okay, so the yin-yang symbol is there, so that's important. Otherwise, it looks nothing like Karataka that I remember, but it does remind me of Full Throttle, <laughs> so I'm I'm fine. <laughs> that's so interesting you said that. It, it reminds me of, like, a Cartoon Network. It, it reminds me kind of of Samurai Jack. Yeah. And mixed with something else. Although the dudes look particularly white, which is kind of weird. Now, I remember, right. I think in Karateka that the main hero, he was blonde or something ridiculous. Right. Which totally was not accurate at all either. But I don't know. They had an opportunity. I think most of these guys look Asian, but some of them don't really. And I don't know how I should feel about that, <laughs> if I should yeah. care or not. It's just a little weird. It's a little unexpected. It's But, it's, yeah, it's really, it's like cell shaded except without the outlines. It's very cartoony. And colorful. Looks like a cartoon show. From cartoon no, I have. I mean, the the Karateka I played was literally like ve- vector graphic wannabes on a PC. Or like I think it was an Apple IIe. So yeah, I played mine on an Atari. So this doesn't look anything like you know what. But I do remember the Yin Yang logo so symbol, which is actually prominently displayed on a some kind of a support structure for a bridge. So. Well, I also that remember the arrows, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, yeah. life the, bars. The life bar thing, yeah. And that's there. Um, I don't know. I don't expect it to have a lot of, you know, a Lights lot of stuff. On fire. <laughs> yeah, but it's cool, and I'm excited to see it. I'm definitely going to give it a try as a, a hardcore fan of the original game. It kicked my butt. I, I was too young to get good at that game. Yeah. <laughs> Just too impatient, really. You know, there was, an, there was another game that came out at about the same time, um, well, maybe a little later, but was, I think, mostly played on the Commodore 64, maybe, the Amiga, and it was like a Bruce Lee game. Oh, and I remember was, that. That was, was a lot like, remember that? It was really hard, and it was kind of like Donkey Kong. You had to go up yeah, and down like a, a lot of ladders. Yeah. A, yeah, platform game. Do you remember that? that yeah, because it was about, like sliding, sliding screens, and you had ninjas that yeah. attacked. You'd get on one floor or the other. Yeah. I remember that, that, like. God, that was fun. What it, I, was, it was really fun. hard, and that's like one of the things we talk about a lot on the podcast. Is remember when games were actually hard to play, but somehow it was acceptable. Yeah, you, it's funny you mentioned you brought up Bruce Lee because that's one that I would try over and over and over because I felt like I could get somewhere. 
right? Karateka, I'd be like, I try it probably maybe a third of the time as much. It's like, I'm just right. not getting anywhere. Because when you die in that game, you went all the way back to the beginning. Oh, I know. So painful. But... And it just took so much time to get back to where you were. It just it didn't feel fulfilling. No. But, oh, that was one of the games that really stuck with me because it, it was the, one of the first games I'd ever seen that had kind of like a cinematic sequence. Oh, yeah. The princess they, they kidnapped. Of those. Yeah. And she falls down crying when the, the doors slam shut of her prison cell. It was like, wow, this is so cool. It was, yeah, it was one of those early cinematic sequences where you were like, oh, now I feel really invested in what's happening. And I'm not used to this, you know. I'm used to reading about this, but not seeing it. You know, pretty yeah. cool. So, yeah, I, I'm excited to try it. It's, it's, it sucks because I've been trying to, like, say I'm not going to renew my Xbox Live status. But, like, all these things are making me go, oh, man, I should really get back into my Xbox. Like, the, the Left for Dead games that you guys are playing and everything. And there's just oh, so many reasons to get back onto that thing. But, damn it, I don't want to. <laughs> I understand. It's it's a resentful, it's a grudge yeah, subscription. It is a grudge subscription. But that's I think it's more than enough for Intergut. And how about we get into some listener feedback? Yeah. Well, yeah, we have we just have one email this week. So everybody listening, please try harder for next week. We'd like, <laughs> we'd, like we'd like you to shock and awe us with an amount of email that we have never before seen. And if you would like to do that, send us mail at mail. M a i l at channelmassive dot com. This week, Agamemnon writes in. This is two weeks in a row he's written us, and, and it's again, is somewhat based on our Dragon Con experience where we passed, like, veritable ships in the night but didn't actually meet him. <laughs> Scott did, but no and I did not meet him. And I really think that if Scott had been on his game and handled it better, we could have met up with Agamemnon, and so I'm kind of bummed. Take it I out on Scott. Scott. I will take it out on Scott. <laughs> but anyway, Agamemnon writes... Wow, I'm glad you guys had such a great time. Dragon Con is a blast. Like I said, there's just so much you can't see and do it all, or at least all you want to do. Yes, that is what caused me a whole lot of angst, Agamemnon. I was like, this is the worst thing ever because of all the stuff I was missing until after I got back. I was like, oh, that was the best thing ever, actually. There was just so much cool stuff there. But anyway, he continues, I was in that City of Heroes panel as well and that woman was definitely a little touched and this is where I was I'm gonna go off the rails here but there was a lady who was just a little bit crazy who was just totally um kind of took over the panel and was in costume and was a little bit elderly and a little bit insane but anyway <laughs> he says she was definitely a little touched but very into her City of Heroes game I think you were sitting behind me on the left with a bunch of guys back there laughing and filming. I was getting a kick out of it, too. But then, like you said, it was sad towards the end when everyone gave their stories about the times they had in the game. My own experience was just the costume contest where I won. Oh, I'm sorry. My own experience was just that costume contest where I won thousands of whatever that money is as soon as I finished the tutorial and came out of it in the main square. And they were having a contest and told me to join in and win some money. That's awesome, man. I, too, have won some contests on League of Legends, and it is always a great feeling to do that. I made one who was, like, I made one character who was a blatant ripoff on Angel from the X-Men and won, like, a contest, like, the second I, I made him. So yeah. I, I'm with you there. 
Um, I was not on the left side of the panel, though. I was on the right side in the back, and I was laughing so loud that I'm surprised the panel didn't grind to a halt when the lady was, like, going crazy and doing her little sing-song thing because I had my iPhone out, and I was filming the whole thing, laughing hysterically, and just basically a total ass. But anyway, that's just how I roll. So hopefully next year we'll get up, we'll get to meet up um, and uh, make fun of someone else at one of these. Anyway, <laughs> he continues. There's so much to see and do. I can't wait for next year. There's a Dragon Con side website where they do podcasts and stuff throughout the year at any list mmo.dragoncon.org. It's pretty good, and they keep up to date on all the happenings in the MMO panels for the next year and who's going to be there, etc. I met with Scott in the podcast panel, and we had a good conversation and sat in on a few other panels I was in as well. She didn't do a very good job. He's referring to the panelist for the MMO um, panel. But at least I got my two cents in about some of the great podcasts out there, like Channel Massive, who are who are into more than just a single game. Next year, I think I'm getting a hotel, so I don't have to get driven back and forth to Mar- Marietta. Agamemnon, The Reckoning. So um, I just booked a hotel for next year, so I guess I'm going. Um you are a hardcore Dragon Con fan. It's, it really is crazy how I did not really, I was not so happy when I was there. It was only afterwards that I was like, man, that was awesome. So, uh, yeah, I, I got a hotel downtown, and I, I sent links to Scott and Noah. Fancy. And uh, it is kind of expensive, but um, I won't have to, like, deal with the Marta or the bus or anything. So I'm going to be there, and... I'm going to follow your advice in this MMO panel thing, and I'm going to see if I can actually do a panel next year, if they'll let me, Ooh. on MMO podcasts or just podcasts in general, because everybody complained, and it's like, you know what? Put my money where my mouth is and see if I can do a better job than that gal. And if I can't, well, that's too bad, but maybe I can or maybe I can co-host with her. I don't know. Who knows? Well, that would be interesting. A nice contrast. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be like, hello, <laughs> I have done a lot more of these than you, but I am still uh, uh, ready to learn. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, thank you for writing in, Agamemnon. Much appreciated. Definitely. With that in mind, we will move on to our next segment, which is what we talk, where we talk about what we've been playing. Now, I would be doing a much better job of hosting this had I not been without any food but I will try to hang in there, Noah. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah. So let's start out with what you've been playing, and that'll buy me some time to figure out what the hell I've been doing. <laughs> okay. Well, as I talked at length about at the beginning of the podcast during Intergeddon, I've played some Resident Evil 6, which I've had mixed reactions to, generally not very positive. On the, In comparison, though, I really like Resident Evil Revelations, which is exclusive to 3DS. It's a lot of fun. It's traditional Resident Evil experience. There's keys and limited ammo and scary moments and difficult battles. It's what you want in a Resident Evil game with a cheesy story, but the episodic structure just makes it so cool. And some good music, too. And that's all. I actually haven't had time to play other stuff. I do have some D&D that I played, which I'll get into that during General Geekery. Does the um does the same guy do music for Resident Evil... Um games is for the movies or is it a totally different per- I believe or do you it's know? a different I, I think I'm pretty sure it's a different person 
Because I'm, okay. I have like the, I have like the soundtracks from a couple of Resident Evil movies, and they're actually pretty cool to listen to. They are. They're good stuff. Yeah, and I, I don't really like soundtracks for movies much, but it's just like, man, this is actually pre- kind of like how that bear guy, um, his soundtracks for Battlestar Galactica. You're like, God, oh, Barry McCreary. Yeah, yeah. And he also does Walking Dead, which is pretty good, but not as as memorable as Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. No, but the Walking Dead one is not bad either, yeah. No. Well, what have I been playing? Well, League of Legends has me firmly in its clutches. So I've been clocking about three to four hours a night. I've gone over 500 wins um, so far. Um, So I'm getting there. Um, Are you playing playing Dominion or Summoner's Rift? Dominion. I've played a couple Summoner's Rifts, but mostly Dominion. I have won probably 80% of the last few games I've played, which is crazy statistically. Man, you're so lucky because whenever I play, I have at least one AFK person. Yeah, we've had that. I've had that, and we've still, we won one game. I have to brag about this. We were we had somebody who was AFK from the beginning, and we still won Dominion. Now, it was close. It was literally three to zero, but we oh. won. And Amazing. it was, and, and, and at that point, we were, we had the like mutual admiration society thing going where everybody that played was like, man, you were the best Tristana I've ever seen. And I was like, man, you're the best Garen I've ever seen. Except for this one guy. And we were like, well, you were, you were the best, whatever you were. But anyway, it was pretty cool. So that game has me firmly in its clutches. I've been playing the hell out of it. Um, I have been trying to play some more Tor- Torchlight 2 but every time I start to play it, I go, man, I miss Guild Wars 2, and I and, and I log out after playing my engineer for mere seconds. And I have to say, Torchlight 2 is awesome. It's just my options are so – there's so many options on what to play right now. It's crazy. So Torchlight 2, no complaints about it. I think it's way better than Diablo 3, way, way enjoyable. But Guild Wars is even more fun for me, and I've been playing that quite a bit. And I'm almost out of the first main area with my Necromancer – who's it's, he's not quite a sex romancer, which is my <laughs> favorite class that never was. But um, he's pretty cool. I have, like, all these disgusting minions I summon, um, some of which are, like, these, like, they look like they look like if you skinned a dog and stuck a human's skull on the front. Those guys are really cool because you can make them explode when you want to. Um, they, That's pretty they, gross. <laughs> it's gross, but it's kind of cool. So I'm really enjoying playing my necromancer um, because he feels like a real necromancer. Where in some some games it's really not dressing. doesn't feel like it. Yeah, this guy feels like he's in, all of his abilities and skills, the way he looks, the way he moves, the way his powers look. It all says, "Man, I'm I'm here to kind of mess stuff up." It's it's cool. So I like the way they pulled that off, and I also like the way that. Um, They've taken everything that we we knew from Warhammer with the public quests and just made it like perfect and seamless. And the art direction is so good; it's awesome art direction. So really enjoying that game. Um, and that's pretty much it. I I haven't touched much else except I I did play another couple games of MechWarrior Online's beta, and that's still really fun. They dropped the NDA, so now I can talk about it at length. But I just haven't played enough of it to have much to say other than. The gameplay looks kind of weirdly photorealistic, and um, it's very much bound by physics and real-world concerns, such as overheating your weapons and stuff. Um, it's you know it feels like a real tactical simulator of of you know driving around a giant mech, so kind of cool. 
but also um, doesn't give you that feeling of, you know, I'm a heroic mech player or anything like that. Yeah. So, kind of kind of different that way, but fun. That's it for me. Right on. Well, continuing into general geekery, some more gameplay action going on. I had another session of Dungeons & Dragons last weekend, and... Oh, I, I feel bad for Dan, our DM, because he created a whole bunch of stuff for us to go through, and we only went through 25% of it over a period of like five or six hours. Oh. <laughs> because one hour was spent with a girl who never shows up. She didn't show up for like the last four sessions over a period of like five months. She finally showed up, and so he was giving her a really exhaustive recap of everything. Oh, and then... We just set up camp after wherever we were from our last session. And I'm like, can we have a night watch? I love night watches. And so we started doing night watch, and then we heard something over the hill, and we went to go investigate it, and it was some animal had fallen into a pit trap. And then it turns out that it was trapped there by some evil goblins or something. They're like, all right, yeah, we're going to deliver this one. And so then we all got woken up and came over the hills to just go and kill everything like we do with everything. We just, If it's moving, we kill it. <laughs> well, that battle took like two and a half hours <laughs> and then it was time to go home oh my and God. it was all over this animal. We didn't even know what type of animal it was that was in the pit. And we just, but there was like so many things that we had to kill and they were all attacking us at once. And so we were trying to balance attacking all of them at once and it just took forever. And then it was time to go home. <laughs> and I told Dan, I'm like, you should just, when you write up the summary for this, you should just call it the, uh, the epic, the epic PETA episode, because it was just like, all we did was we rescued an animal. It was a wolf, by the way. And then we went home. <laughs> that was our big game session. <laughs> and we waited a month to do that. complete. <laughs> yeah. This upcoming weekend, I have a, another fresh session of Changeling. I actually have some homework I need to do for that next. But at the last session, of the, the previous session of Changeling, we actually had our very first battle and three different sessions. So it's the total 180 opposite of my Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Wow. But I'm interested to see where it goes because our homework is to talk about our biggest goals and fears that we had before we were captured by the evil fairies. And then we need to detail what our biggest goals and fears are post escaping the evil fairy realm. And I, I'm sure that we're being asked this because it's going to be playing into the campaign adventures. So Oh, I'm just really stoked to see where it goes. Cool. Well, that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. How about you? What's going on with you in General Geek Greenland? Well, one uh, there's a couple of things that are interesting, and I can't remember the name of the mod, but there's these Skyrim mods that are going around, and one of them is hilarious because it's called, like, the mod that should not be or something like that, and it has the this crazy image of, like, a little cat in the helmet of like a player, but it's not, there's no face there or head. And there's just all these really weird things where they stuck, like they made bronies basically. Oh, and then, and then in the beginning sequence, one of the, one of these people is like beheaded, right? There's a beheading. Well, so to see a brony beheaded is just hilarious. It, <laughs> it's like, this is something that should happen every day. Um, but anyway, there's that. And then somebody made a mod, which is super Skyrim brothers. And I put a link up so, so you could see some of the models that they came up with, like for the mushrooms and the turtle and everything. It looks hilarious. Um, so some of the mods are just so out of control right now for Skyrim that, you know, if you, if you haven't played it or you haven't tried some of them, 
give it a shot and don't just play the nude one. Because I know that's what everyone's thinking of. But don't do it. Try some of these other ones. They're hilarious. Um, my general geekery mostly consists of just, uh, you know, listening to a ton of audiobooks during my uncomfortable commute to and from work, um, which takes about an hour both ways. So I've been I've oh, gone gosh. through um, Dan Simmons' um, Hyperion. I've read the first two or listened to the first two books, I guess. And I'm doing that, and between every one of those, there's four in his Hyperion Cantos. Um, between those and um, The Wheel of Time by uh, Robert Jordan, I'm listening to those from the beginning and going through it all. And so I'm on, like, book three of The Wheel of Time, which is The uh, the Dragon Reborn. And I'm after I finish that, I'll go to the third book of the Hyperion Cantos, which is a name, I think is like... In, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a it's a it's supposed to be like 250 years after the end of the last one um, oh. that I just finished, which was an awesome series. Noah, I highly recommend that series to you for some really cool science fiction. That's um, it's the the imagery is insanely awesome, but it tells a really good story, and the the way the writer actually uses pro, uses prose is very very impressive. He's a great writer, so. Hopefully, you might get a chance to check that out sometime. It's on my list. I'm actually reading a Warhammer. Uh, oh, cool! Omnibus, I guess I can call it. Right now, I finished Wool, my highly, highly, highly recommended indie sci-fi novel. Oh, it was so great. Loved it. You have to read it, Mark. It's fantastic. I want. I want to do, and I want you to please remind me to read that. Like, don't let me forget to like stick that into my list. Yeah. I think you might like it. I oh, I, I, oh it's great. I, t- I typically read like nonfiction books with my Kindle, and then I listen to audiobooks that are fiction. But maybe I can make an exception and just go through it on my Kindle. So yeah, I think you'd like it. Yeah. And by Kindle, I mean the actual Kindle and the the the, the app. You know, so well, yeah, cool. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, other than that, in my general geekery. I have booked a hotel room for Dragon Con 2013, as I mentioned earlier. Everything sold out, so they have, you know, they're staggered. The big hotels, the like main three hotels, the Hyatt, the Hilton, the Marriott, they have been staggering the, um, you know, the opening for ticket sales. They sold out for the Hyatt in one minute and thirty seconds. Wow. <laughs> and so Bob and I were trying desperately to buy tickets at the same time. And, of course, we're blaming each other for the whole problem. But, um, in fact, what happens is everyone for Dragon Con is doing that because you can, you can put in a code and get a cut rate. And the way their, their systems work for these hotels is not like Ticketmaster where you start the process of getting your ticket and that, like, locks in your your hotel room or your tickets no it's not like that it's you have to go through the whole process before you have it so you could hypothetically enter all your credit card information and find out everything's sold out oh which is horrific right yeah so the only one not left that's one of the major ones downtown is the marriott which goes on sale on uh october 10th the cool one though that is the coolest right oh but no i I got one downtown. Um, I can't remember even what it's called, but it's not one of the big ones, but it's within like two blocks of the area. So nice. we won't have to deal with the Marta. And hopefully I can convince you to go, Noah. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, I'm all set. So I'm going to do that. Um, I'm actually going to work on a costume. 
I just haven't figured out exactly what I'm going to do. Cool. I want to. I want a costume. Definitely. I think that would just make your experience complete. I was actually thinking about a Garen costume. Oh, that would be really good. Just because I have the right hair color, and I'm Here pretty tall. Right hair. Yeah. Got to get buff and and be able to carry like a you know, gigantic weapon. But other than that, we'll see. Um. I think it's everything for our show. I think so. Listeners, thanks for going on this journey with us. Let us know. Are you booking hotel rooms already for Dragon Con? You gonna try to get into the Marriott? Did you get a different hotel? Are you gonna do packs? Yeah. Let us know or give us any other comments that you have about the week's news or stuff that's coming up. If you're looking forward to playing Dishonored or if you got really burned by Resident Evil Six. Or you just really heads down into Guild Wars 2 or Torchlight 2. Tell us what you think about this game. Send in your thoughts to mail. Email. At channelmaster.com. We'll be back next week. We bid you adieu.